0: I want you to take just a moment and dream with me. Just for a second, I I want you to put aside the reality of life and just kind of dream for a moment. Picture your life with no financial strain. Picture your life with zero debt. A life where you, you never struggle paying your bills at the end of the month. You are saving for the future. And, and you live with this joy. And, and you have a heart that is truly generous. And you have so much peace in your life. Can you picture it? Some of you are thinking, dream on, Pastor. Because the second that you said, picture your life with no financial strain, you already stopped dreaming. Like, yeah, that's, that's, that's too out there. I, I can't even begin to visualize what that life would look like. The truth is that most, not all of us, this is just a mark of our age, is that we live in an age of anxiety and stress over money. And yet, Jesus came to give us peace. He came to overcome anxiety, stress. He came to relieve our fears, to push back the darkness, to redeem to give us peace, to bring shalom. That's why Jesus came, so you can have peace with God and have peace with others and even, yes, peace financially, so financial peace. God wants to create in you a truly generous spirit where you find great joy in giving away your money. Now, most of us that are following Jesus, I would like to believe and I do believe That you want to be generous you really do but you feel like you can't feel like you just don't have the funds available to you to be able to be generous now this morning I'm using some words that some of you might not understand because you're a little bit young today we have our 4 to 11 year olds joining us usually they are in their classes if you're a guest today It's our pattern is that children are in classes where they hear the word taught on their level, learn about Jesus in their classes. But on a holiday weekend, our teachers are out of town. And so the few that are left are getting a break today and our children are with us. And so I'm going to use some words like generous. And if you're here and you're five, you're like, Pastor, I don't know what generous means. Well, to be generous simply means that you enjoy giving away, that you like it, that it makes you happy to give money away, to give of yourself, of your time, to give to others, brings you joy. So to have generosity or to be generous means that you're not selfish. And so it's the opposite of being selfish. Now, if I use the word finance or financial, all that means is money. So if you if you hear me talk about your finances or financial issues, I'm just talking about money. So that's what we're talking about here this morning. So what is the key to unlocking this life of financial wisdom and peace? What, what is the key to have a life that really overflows with generosity? We've been pondering, we've been thinking about, really meditating on this key the last several weeks in this series. And the word is restoration. The key to living a life that is truly generous is to have a restored soul before God. That's the key. The one true God is the God of restoration. His mercy and and his compassion move him to restore us in our broken lives that's what god does he restores and so god takes our failures and then through his grace and through his mercy he restores us back to himself he restores us to each other in broken relationships and he even restores us as humans to our ultimate purpose which is to be a reflection of his glorious character so he restores our purpose of displaying his glory And so having a restored soul will lead to contentment. So follow me, it's all connected. Having a restored soul before God then leads to being content with your life, with what you earn, with everything. And so restoration leads to contentment. But then contentment will directly impact how you spend your money. If you're content, then you're not going to go and get in debt because you're content. But the key is a restored soul. And so today's sermon is titled, Restoration Results in Generosity. And so it truly does. Based upon the resurrection of our Savior Jesus and and through the power of His Spirit that resurrects spiritually dead and indwells us and transforms us to be more like Jesus when we are submitting to God's authority as revealed in his word, what God does is he begins to transform, change our hearts, our desires, and we will then find ourselves being truly radically generous. And so we're going to see these profound truths about generosity as we study the Bible by continuing in our series in Ezra and Nehemiah, a series called Restoration, the Gospel in Ezra and Nehemiah. So we'll be reading in Nehemiah chapter 5. As you turn there, I'll give you very brief context if you're here for the first time. After 70 years in the Babylonian exile, God restored his people back to the land of promise, to Judah. And then he restored the temple that had been destroyed. He restored their worship back there in Israel. And even through Nehemiah, we saw this last week, he restored the walls of Jerusalem that had been torn down. So let's read about God's ongoing work of restoration in the lives of his people. Nehemiah chapter 5. And the words are on the screen. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, With our sons and our daughters we are many. So let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is at the flesh of our brothers, our children, or as their children. We are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved but it is not in our power to help it, for other men have our fields and our vineyards. I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. I took counsel with myself, and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, You are exacting interest from each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them and said to them, we, as far as we are able, have bought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations. But you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. They were silent and could not find a word to say. So I said, "The thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers." my servants are lending them money and grain let us abandon the of interest return to them this very day their fields their vineyards their olive orchards and their houses and the percentage of money grain wine and oil that you have been exacting from them then they said we will restore these and require nothing from them we will do as you say And I called the priests and made them swear to do as they had promised. I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen. And praise the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 30th, Second year of Artaxerxes, the king, 12 years. Neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them their daily ration, 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded over the people. I did not do so because of the fear of God. I also... Persevered in the work on this wall, and we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews, and officials, besides those who came up from the nations that were around us. Now, what was prepared at my expense each day was for one oxen, six choice sheep, and birds, and every ten days, abundance. Yet for all this, I did not demand the food of the governor. Because the service was too heavy on this people. Remember for my good, oh my God, all that I have done for this people. Amen. A truly remarkable story. Powerful narrative. Just to recap here briefly, verses 1 through 5. That paragraph describe how the majority of the Jewish population was in serious financial trouble. I mean, this was a major financial crisis the men had spent all their time working to rebuild the city walls and they were unable to work in the field and then to make things worse there was a famine and so you had all these men working on the walls not tending to their fields and now they have no food let me just stop for a second they have no food because of their commitment to build the walls For the glory of God had now left them starving. They had to borrow money, it says, to pay their taxes to the Persian king. And it got so bad, it says they even had to sell their children into debt slavery. And this is just a horrifying situation. But to add insult to injury, the worst part of this, honestly, what's worse is who was responsible, why, who were the moneylenders, who were the bankers that were exacting all of this interest, making their lives impossible, enslaving their children. It says, their Jewish brothers. This wasn't foreigners, the people of God were enslaving each other, charging interest, which was both against the law of Moses. It was against God's word, abusing each other. Verses 6-13, that next paragraph describes how Nehemiah, who was appointed as the governor, so the leader of Judah, of course under the Persian king's authority, but the governor of Judah. He calls, it says, the officials. And so he calls those that are wealthy. He calls the moneylenders. he, He calls these pawn shop sharks, these loan sharks. He calls them, the ones that have all the money, all the influence, he calls these wealthy people who are lending money and enslaving their brothers and breaking the laws of God. And he tells them, What are you doing? What do you think you're doing? This is the people of God. And then Nehemiah admits that he too is wealthy and he's been lending money. So he calls his brothers, Let us all stop. Charging interest. We need to stop this. And right now is not the time for interest-free loans. Beyond that, it's time to give money away. It's time to go beyond interest-free. Now let's give it all away. He says, give back the interest. The money that you charge extra, give it back to them. Give them back their fields. Give them back their vineyards. He says, give it back. And he says, restore and require nothing from them. Forgive the debts. Give them a means to earn a living. Give them back their crops and forgive their loans. This wealthy man was, was committed to being generous and holds the others accountable to do the same. Now verses 14 through 19, the last paragraph describes how Nehemiah was a truly generous person. His heart overflowed with kindness and generosity. So it says here, as a governor, he had the right to charge extra taxes for himself. It says like the previous governors had done. This is normal. And yet, Nehemiah didn't do it. And he had a large staff. It says 150 people that were his employees, that he was feeding them. It says that he was killing one ox per day and six choice sheep, And this is wine in abundance. Does he sound poor to you? No. He had a large staff, a lot of money. And he was using his own staff to build the wall. And he wasn't acquiring more land. He wasn't making any more business ventures. He wasn't out investing. He was taking all of his employees, paying them to build the wall. And so he was using his own personal resources. He was being very generous. He was committed to the work of God. And so what you see here in verse 9, to the other greedy officials, he tells them, this what you're doing is not good And he says, you, you should fear God. And then in verse 15, Nehemiah, showing his own generosity, says that he was generous because he feared God. So you see a theme. That the motivation for generosity is fearing God. And so fearing God is not this being scared of him. It's more than that. Fearing God is a reverence for him. Fearing God is a awe of his holiness. It's, it's treasuring God more than anything else. And so in summary, fearing God is worshiping him. And it results in generosity. Let me give you the main idea from this story that we just looked at here briefly. The primary truth God's revealing here is that God entrusts his people with finances, money, in order to receive glory and advance his kingdom. This is what God does. God gives us resources, finances, so that he can receive the glory, and then his kingdom can be advanced. That's why he gives us money, so that we can invest in eternity. It's much bigger than you or me in our self-centered agendas. Our money is for God's glory to expand his kingdom. God did not give us Money so that we can accumulate wealth exclusively. We'll, we'll talk more about that later because Nehemiah was wealthy. So hold that thought. But there's a lot going on here. There's a lot of people, believers, that have very subtle attitude towards their money. And this attitude and observation goes something along these lines. Give God his 10%. So pay God, pay your bill. You pay your 10%, and then you're free to lavish whatever gifts you want upon yourself. So your 90% is for you to use however you want. Just give God his 10%. And so this, this type of thinking is just not in the Bible. It's not there. We, we don't give to God. We don't pay God, for one. We don't give God out of this act of, like, religious Duty that we we have to give God his 10%. Why do we give money away? And as a church, why do we collect an offering? Why do we pass the offering bag every single Friday morning? Why do we do that? Well, some of you might answer the question well, we collect an offering, so we, we give money to the church because the church has expenses. There's things we have to pay for. And in one sense, that's true. I mean, our church does fund church planters in India, in the villages outside of Andhra Pradesh, in Hyderabad. So we do absolutely need to continue to fund these gentlemen that we've committed to and to Moses, who leads that ministry. But we don't just fund in India. We also have local mission that we fund, like going to labor camps, and even among university students, and and we support them. So we've committed to that. As we saw this morning, we're funding a church plant here in Abu Dhabi. And so this is, to me, very exciting that our money goes out. We even support persecuted churches in other parts of this region. We fund our ministry team so that we can effectively make and develop disciples among children, youth, and adults here in Abu Dhabi. So we, we have ministry team budgets. We have to pay the rent for our hall. It's not free. And so there are expenses. And I do receive a salary from this church's giving. And so there are commitments and there are expenses. And so some of you say, well, so back to the question. So why do we collect an offering? Why do we give? You might say, oh, because church has expenses. That's not entirely right. That's only a small part of the answer. It's much deeper and much bigger than, oh, we have bills to pay. That's not what it is. We give, we collect offering because it's worship. That's what we give. We give because it's worship. You see, it's not an act of duty. It's an act of worship. We give to God because we value him above all else. And believers in Jesus should give joyfully and should give generously out of love so again we have children here so i want to define our terms we talk about worship and we give because it's worship worship quite simply means what you find most worth in what you value what you treasure and yes children even you worship there are things that you treasure Probably can go into your room and you'll say, Pastor, I, I treasure this toy. Or I really value this or whatever it might be. And by the way, your moms and dads also treasure their toys. They're not any different from you. They also treasure their toys. They're just bigger more expensive. But they're still toys. And we still treasure them. All of us have things that we value above all else. And so what we worship is that we find our comfort and joy and meaning in. But when we are giving generously, we're reflecting the character of God because, you see, God gives. He is a giver. God gave his son to die in our place. Jesus gave his life to pay the price for your sins and for mine. And so when we are giving, we're reflecting the glory of God. It's an act of worship. And we're saying, Jesus, I love you more than my own comforts. But let's just be clear on this. When it comes to giving, God does not need my money or your money. He doesn't need it. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He can sell as much as he wants. He has endless resources. He spoke the world into existence. God doesn't need our money. He can speak it into existence. But what God does want is your heart. We read earlier in the worship gathering from Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus promised to build his church. He does not fail. Jesus never fails. And so he's going to accomplish his purposes, but we get the privilege and the joy as an act of devotion and love for him to give, to expand his kingdom and to see his glory revealed in this city where we live. So we must worship Jesus, not money. That's the point of money, is an act of worship. So you see Nehemiah here had a restored soul. Beyond the wall, his soul was restored. And so what happened, it resulted in generosity. Because his heart was gripped by God. Where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. So generosity is a result. Hear me. It's the fruit, not the root. Generosity is the result. And so generosity results from something. Treasuring Jesus, worshiping him, results in generosity. But let's get practical here for a couple of minutes. Let me give you some principles on generosity. Generosity. Or those that lead to generosity. So number one, if you want to have a generous heart, number one, recognize that your finances belong to God. If you want to have generosity, it begins with this. Number one, recognize that your money, it's not really yours. It all belongs to God. That's the overall theme of Nehemiah 5 is... These people belong to God, and he owns everything, and he gave you the ability to earn money so that you can then be a good steward of it. I want you to picture a father that has a little boy. Let's say he's five. There's five years in the room here today, and this little boy has wanted a toy really bad, a particular toy. Let's say a toy that's hard to assemble. You know, the kind of toys you're all night, Christmas Eve, assembling for your kids, right? Those kind of toys. And, and so this is a hard-to-find toy because it's so popular. So you're driving around town to find this one particular toy. And it's hard to find it. in your are Mall, Dama Mall, and you finally find it. And, and then you're up half the night assembling this toy. And it was not cheap because it's a hot commodity, so you have to pay a lot of money for it. And then the next morning, your five-year-old comes. And he sees his Christmas present, and he's so excited about his toy, and he's playing with it. And, of course, dads are just kids anyway, just boys on the inside. And so you're like, hey, can I play with that toy too? And your son looks at you and says, no, it's mine. Think again. I bought that toy. I was up half the night assembling that toy. I had to drive around town looking for that toy. That toy is mine. And ultimately, you, you do own it, but you've given it to your son to enjoy, and yet that's how we are. God gives us gifts to enjoy, to be stewards of, and yet we say, no, it's mine, and we don't even want God to look at it or touch it, and God wants to just enjoy it with you. Say, so said, let me come into your world, which is really his world anyway." It's all his. He owns you. He bought you. And he gives you gifts to be a steward of. And by definition, a steward doesn't own the business, doesn't own the property. The steward is the manager. He stewards, he manages for the owner. Our lives are an act of stewardship. Your mind, your body That's for a different day's conversation on being healthy. That's an act of stewardship too. Talking about money here today. It's in the text. I didn't pick this. It's in Nehemiah. It's stewardship. We manage it for the glory of the king who owns everything. If you have a good salary, in part, you have that good salary so that you can manage it Well, and be in the position to give away like Nehemiah did. Do you want a generous heart? This is where it starts. Keep your hands open. Don't grip it so tightly. Don't hold on to your possessions and and your money so tightly. Remember, it belongs to God. And then you're on the path towards being generous. Number two, second biblical principle from we see in the text, at least generosity, is you have to truly believe God that giving produces lasting joy. Believe God that giving produces lasting joy. Nehemiah was a generous person because he worshiped God. The joy that Seed from knowing and enjoying God, the presence of God in his life gave Nehemiah more joy than all the money that he could have been hoarding. If you look at Acts 20, verse 35, records the words of Jesus. Jesus says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. With Christmas around the corner, all of our children here in the room, and I would include teenagers and maybe even the adults. I don't know. But with Christmas around the corner, do you truly believe this? Do you really believe that it's more blessed, there's more joy, there's more happiness in giving than receiving? Do we believe God? Because Jesus said it. Do we believe him? Children. In the room, are you busy making your Christmas list of the things that you want? What if this year you don't? What if this year children and parents lead your kids to not make a list of what you want? Now make a list, but make a list of what you're going to give away. Make a list of people in your life, mom, dad, siblings, your pastor, right? No, I'm just kidding. Make a list of people in your life and what you are going to give them. Don't make a list of what you're going to receive. You're thinking, I'm only nine years old. I don't have any money. Talk to your mom and dad and say, dad, I need money so I can give. Give me a job. What can I clean? Behind the fridge, behind the oven, clean out the refrigerator, right? dust the, the railing and your stairway, all of those tasks that moms and dads are like, I don't want to do those, have your kids do it. And pay them. Pay them well, a good wage. If they do a good job, inspect it, because God does. Give your children opportunities to learn to be stewards of Money. I don't know, maybe if you're more academic, say, if you read these books, I'll pay you. Now, you have your normal reading that you have to do for school, but if you'll read extra, harder books, I'll pay you. I don't know, you decide for yourself, but give your kids ways to earn money so that they can learn to be stewards and they can learn that giving brings more joy than receiving. Do we truly believe God or do we doubt Him and say, no, I don't, I, I say that I believe that, but the reality is oftentimes we choose not to believe it. Instead, we want the happiness that comes from vacations and nice clothes and uh, impressive cars and fine dining. And what's the result? Debt, financial problems, emptiness, anxiety, and no generosity. Oh, I can't afford to give. Really? How many lattes do you buy a week? How many times do you go out? How much do you spend on your clothes? How much on your vacations? Believe God. Believe Him that giving actually produces more joy than receiving. Real joy is found in Christ. That's where joy comes from. Knowing and enjoying Jesus, honestly trust Him and believe Him. Generosity will follow. Number three, biblical principles that lead to generosity. Number three, trust God to be your primary source of security. Trust God for Him to be truly your security. Nehemiah could have made way more money by collecting extra taxes, but He didn't. Why? Because he loved the people of God and because he was trusting God. His security was in God. Where is your security? Don't answer too quickly. Oh, Jesus, yeah, he's the right answer. But before you answer too quickly, how much do you give? On your budget. You have a budget, I assume. What percentage are you giving? You see, believers who worship God, not money, need far less from this world to be happy and secure. God has given you money so you can glorify him and expand his kingdom. So how we spend says a lot about are we trying to build our own little kingdom with fleeting pleasures and comforts, or is it really about the kingdom of Jesus? Number four, as we wrap up, biblical principles to generosity, number four, enjoy the gifts that God gives you. Enjoy them. God's giving you gifts. Again, Nehemiah had a very large staff. He had wine in abundance. Yes, he was generous, but clearly he wasn't poor. And the text does not say that he was left poor. He was still wealthy. He gave away, and yet he still maintained his wealth. He was enjoying. The gifts that God gave to him. And many of us in this room, compared to a lot of the world, are wealthy. We just are. Now, not everyone in the room, but a lot of us, we're wealthy. If you compare yourself to those from Nepal, or Sri Lanka, or Bangladesh, or many other places not too far from Abu Dhabi. Our call is to be a good steward of our finances, See, God delights in us enjoying the gifts that God has given to us, just like we as fathers and mothers enjoy giving gifts to our children. And so is it wrong to have nice furnishings in your home? No. Is it wrong to enjoy a high-quality car? No, it's not. Is it wrong to have decent clothes? No. Is it wrong to eat out? We're going to lunch today in the mall. Maybe we shouldn't go to the mall. Maybe we should all give to missions instead. No. God wants us to enjoy the gifts that he gives to us. He wants to enjoy his blessings. Having gratitude, having a thankful heart for what is given to us will actually lead to more generosity. So the point here is stewardship, honoring God with how we use our money and living a life that's balanced, Where you own your possessions, it's not your possessions owning you. So we're called to live within our means. One practical thing is honestly, have a monthly written budget. If you don't, you won't live within your means. Like we talked about two weeks ago failure to plan is planning to fail. Teach your children. About good stewardship. In my home, when our kids earn money, they have three envelopes. One says spend, one says give, and one says save. Because quite honestly, how else do you use your money? That's it. You can spend it, you can give it away, or you can save it. You you can have short-term and long-term investments, but that's still saving. So keep it simple. They're kids. Save. And so whenever they get their money, they put 80% in spend, 10% in give, and 10% in save. That's just a simple principle to get them started on learning about stewardship and managing their funds and giving to others. Now, just as we close here, just to clarify, the New Testament does not give us a percentage of how much to give. It doesn't do that. Now, the Old Testament does describe a tithe, and the word tithe means 10, so 10%. So, yes, there was tithe. And Jesus even said, yes, you should tithe. And so, but, but I digress. There's no clear New Testament, thou shalt give 10% of your income. That's not in the New Testament. But what you do see is generosity, giving cheerfully, sacrificially. A heart that's overwhelmed by the grace and the love of Jesus just overflows with generosity. And so here's a question for you. As believers in Jesus that have experienced his grace, how could we give less than what our Old Testament brothers and sisters were required to give? Oh, no, no, there's freedom. Now I can only give 2%. Really? 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 I think giving 10% is the starting point. That's ah, just one place to start. See, God, I want to give you the top of my income for your glory, for your kingdom. Help me to have the faith, the wisdom, the stewardship to give far beyond 10%. Treasure Jesus. Behold his glory. Live a life of, of wisdom with financial planning so you can please your Savior and I can assure you that a generous heart is not far behind. And if you're here today and you don't know this Jesus we're talking about this morning and how generosity comes from knowing and enjoying Him, He loves you and He died for you. If you will repent of your sins with all of your heart, trust in Jesus who is God. Trust Him with your everything. He'll save you. He'll change you. And I can promise you this, you will not be disappointed. Will you pray with me? Father, you are so good. Thank you for giving us so many good gifts, beginning with our lives, with our redemption, but even, yes, financial gifts. Thank you. I pray that we would be a wise people who use our finances for your glory. May we trust you and worship you and not ourselves and not the idols of comfort or security. We find our security in you and find the joy in giving for you are God who gives. And we pray this for your sake in the name of our Savior Christ.